my intention was to bring what's going on right now within the contemporary art fields to St. Louis. And what they share is a sense of collective consciousness. Their work is very close to, to the people. That was curator Modu Dieng. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. Now, you may have heard there's an election coming up in the United States. Yes, it's true. So let's talk about political art. There's an exhibition in St. Louis right now called Cry of Victory and Short Walks to Freedom. It's part of the Four Freedoms Initiative, that's F-O-R Freedoms, which is sponsoring political art in all 50 states leading up to the election. This one is curated by Modu Dieng. He's a curator and artist who was born in Senegal. He's now based in Chicago. The show includes work from 15 artists. 14 of those pieces are on view at the Project Plus Gallery in the Central West End. One of them is in the Kranzberg at Grand Center. Let me tell you about that one. It's actually an installation that you walk through. It is an emphatically multimedia piece. There are metal barricades, like you might see out on the streets. There's some black canvases. And there's more than 150 placards on wooden posts, the sort you might see at a rally or a protest. But there's no obvious political slogans on any of them. There's some painting, magazine clippings, even plaster sculptures, and at least one wig. You get the strong feeling that there's a political message here, but you can't put your finger on exactly what's going on. It got me thinking about art and politics and whether one gets in the way of the other when you try to combine them. And what exactly counts as political art? So for this episode of Cut and Paste, I spoke with the curator, Modu Dieng, in our studios right here at St. Louis Public Radio. And I spoke with the artist I just told you about, Oscar Murillo, who called in from a gallery in Bogota, Colombia. This podcast alternates between those two conversations. So let's start in studio with Modu Dieng. I begin by telling him some of the many thoughts that were running through my mind after visiting the installation at the Kranzberg. The way it resonated with me, I, I felt like it, I recognized it and I didn't. You know, there, there right. was... A grotesque sense to it. There yes. was a realistic sense to it. Yes, and I, it occurred to me that it's like this is a protest that I wandered into. I wandered into someone else's dream. Right, and I missed the beginning, and I right. don't quite understand. Right, and there's something disorienting about right. it. Is right. that is that yeah. part of what? Well, you're that to that's exactly you know like I think the best way of describing a piece or talking about a piece is to let the audience do it. There's a real sense of place there, right? When the viewer arrives, you're right. sort of, you're entering into right. a different environment. Right. You kind of feel the drama. You know, it's a protest in in limbo. You know, like he describes it. There is a lot of that going on right now in the world. Protesting, protesting for this and that, here and there. And uh, you know, I thought it was a nice reflection of society, our contemporary society right now, and a nice reflection on all of the aspects he sort of tried to speak. Uh, with his work. And we carefully, you know, work within the space to make it the way the artist wanted it to, to be visible and be felt. And it's a kind of a, a sense of controlled chaos because a protest is chaos. And uh, also it's a sense of sort of like giving to the idea of a protest and an art context, you know, because we're talking about an art piece and it has its own legitimacy to exist as a piece of beauty and as a piece of uh, or cultural value and artistic concept. And part of the confusion or displacement 
for for the person, the viewer, uh-huh. is we see all these pieces. Some of the placards are are right side up. Some are upside down. Yes, they're stacked together. Yes, we can see some of them and not see others. Yes, but what I'm hearing from you is that that is all very precisely arranged. Of course, of course. Yeah. Do, do you want to see all of them? <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> like when you are in a crowd, you know, you can only see few few faces. You know, some people are turning their back to you. Some people are walking faster or behind you. So it's the same sort of strategy, you know, because uh, those are placards that, you know, meant to be, you know, representing some sort of like personality or identity, you know. And uh, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's still in the making, you know, because uh, it's working with time and it's working within the space. I'm looking for a job at honest pay, Lord, Lord, and I ain't gonna be treated this way. People surround the space and, and, and there is this kind of sense of a, of a kind of space in limbo, as I like to call it, as if a horde of people just uh, left all these different placards, you know, after they, they had, you know, uh, gone on a protest or, or if anything before uh, going on a protest and they just... I, you know, sometimes I fantasize about this space being uh, overwhelmed with people and, and, and you see them kind of carry off the, the, the placards to some un- unknown destination. What's important here is also that a placard in the sense of the protest uh, it implies that one is protesting against a course or protesting against something. And in this case, for me, it's vital and very important that that doesn't come across at all, that it, if anything... I am celebrating uh, aesthetics and freedom and form and color and and being in the studio and making these works and making paintings. It, it becomes about painting primarily, and uh, and I and I thought that this idea of the protest obviously is something that in it's odd. It becomes odd with itself. Also, in, in that conflict, it, it, you create energy and put the viewer in this kind of position of, of uncertainty. You and Oscar both speak about the energy, maybe in a particular piece or in the space where people are interacting with it. What do you have in mind when, when you talk about the energy of, of a piece of art? Actually, I, I, I had a conversation with uh, two, young, two young guys uh, who came to see the show from Ferguson, or they were at the protests. And I don't know where they live, but they told me that they were there and uh, and that they were, it really reminded them that moment. And uh, they felt a little lost in it, but also they they were happy to experience it, you know, in a sense that it sort of expressed what they felt there during that protest and uh, a sense of abandonment, you know, a sense of of, of frustration and also not really knowing why they are there and what they were doing there, you know, even though they felt like they should be. And uh, I think, you know, for the artists to be able to capture, in general, those feelings people might, when people, uh, someone can have in a march or a protest, and through just its, his own aesthetic and beauty and making, you know, is quite fantastic, you know. Chips in Iraq wanna know they're for George W. Bush, re-election Speaking broadly, Oscar, is this a political piece? It's interesting. I mean, I, I, don't, I really don't know how to answer that. I think, you know, because I, I, I don't want to say yes, because I don't want to be 
like tongue and cheek. I think it's a, it's a piece that that raises a lot of uh, intrigue. Oscar, I, I think your your work shows a commitment to an interest in social justice that might be addressed more or less explicitly from one piece to another. Could you talk yeah. to me just a little bit about? Is there a specific political takeaway that you want your viewers to come away from from a particular piece? I mean, I, I've been I've been thinking actually being here in Bogota is an interesting question to to be here and having this conversation when I, when you come from a, a a place like Colombia or you know being here in Bogota. I mean, all these different uh, injustices are, are play constantly. I mean, literally at, at every turn there is an injustice, um, and and so how can art compete with that? I mean, it's impossible. I think primarily, first and foremost, I am an artist, but I think. As a, as a human being, I, I also have this kind of burning energy and, and uh, anger also. I think that to say that it's rooted within a certain kind of injustice course, it's, it's maybe unfair to say. I think perhaps one could talk about uh, inequality, one could talk about racism, one could talk about social injustice, injustice in, in, within the context of economy within trade, within geographies, within agriculture. We get carried away with artificial intelligence. And so, as an, as an individual, I, you know, all these kind of uh, situations, they, they fuel my kind of anger. And so, yeah, I mean, I think through, through my work then, I, I try to navigate the, the sense of, you know, how can I utilize my practice and, and, and think that it could make a, a, a difference or a change, but I also know that it can't. And I think that's something that I'm that I'm that I'm getting to grips with, and I'm still navigating and still learning from. In these times, in these political times in the United States, yes, is this a time when artists uh, who are politically active in one part of their lives uh-huh. might want to factor that more into their work and? And how, how does that how does that work? Well, you you need to ask them, you know. And well, you're uh, an artist. So I'll ask you. Well, you, I'm not you, I'm not making work here. <laughs> well, you make work elsewhere. Yes, right? yes, I do. Do you consider but, yourself a political artist? Well, I, I'm a curator. I'm invited as a curator, you know. So I can only speak of one hat right now, you know, which is the curator hat, you know. So I think art in itself is is a politi- is a political journey, you know, because uh, you know making things. I, I really strongly believe that making beautiful things can make change because it gives people happiness. It gives people pleasure, you know. It gives people ways of of uplifting themselves and getting a better life and having a better journey. And I think it's a political gesture. That's that's a, You describe that as a political gesture. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think this might be a time when words like inclusion and, and, and you say, you know, we have artists of all different religions that is somehow becoming controversial in a way that maybe we not, might not expect it to be. How so? That there's an, inherent, there's an inherent political content to simply saying, I have an exhibition with Muslims and with Christians and with Jews and with people from different ethnicities, uh-huh. and we're welcoming all of this. Right. But it's all... Of course, yes. And these are all American artists. Y- yes. This is American art. Of course. And the, you know, pluralism is not something that's necessarily accepted universally right now. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, but what I'm hearing from you is in saying, in simply, in an act of, an inc- of inclusion and maybe of creating joy 
<laughs> in a tumultuous time. Right. That there's there's a political element to that just within it. Totally. For I marched to the battles of the German trench in a war that was bound to end all wars. Oh, I must have killed a million men and now they want me back again, but I ain't marching anymore. The question I always think about is the, the balance between having some political content embedded in your work somewhere, but not being didactic, not having it come down to a simple moral or a simple point that can be digested very simply. Because as an artist, you're not looking for simplicity. You're, you're, you're looking for ambiguity and complexity. Precisely. Yeah, precisely. I mean, I think, I think it becomes quite criminal also to, to make assumptions on, on what, what moves you know, uh, uh, the audience. I think obviously one can only uh, be true to, to the self and, and hope to create uh, engagement with, with a diverse number of people. And therefore I, I know that I as an individual have, you know, I know the things that fuel my kind of desire to, to make certain works, but I also want to make sure that that work is enjoyable and that that work is, you know, has, has profound energy and that it, that, that has a kind of huge spectrum of um, aesthetic resolve and not get too caught up in a, in a message of sorts. And you think at the end of the day, a lot of these, these works end up in storage or end up in a museum or they end up in a collector's home. And then, I mean, you know, then, then just becomes a kind of performative rhetoric. <laughs> My intention was to bring pretty much uh, what's going on right now within the contemporary art field, you know, to St. Louis. And what they share is a sense of collective consciousness. Their work is very close to, to the people, let's say. Speaking of the title, Cry of Victory and Short Walks to Freedom. When we think of the journey to freedom, we always think of it as a long walk. So I'm trying to say here that it doesn't have to be you know, it could be just a short walk. I want it to be a celebration of, you know, the things that we share together. Sort of like a closure to what happened in the recent history in St. Louis, you know, in terms of thinking about Ferguson and, uh, you know, the racial divide and, you know, all of the trouble that we went through, the protests, you know, here in St. Louis. I felt like this was a moment for us to all sort of sit together, find a closure and, and let it go and move on to a future, a better future, a beautiful future. In dealing with things like that, right. the, the Ferguson uprising and right. great racial strife and disparity, how does art come into that conversation? Well, art is a is, is a is a space for for beauty, and uh, it's you know it enlightens us. You know, it gives us light. It gives us beauty. It gives it gives us love. You know, there's a lot of love in art. You know, there's a, you know like we make beautiful things. Artists make beautiful things, and. Uh, you know, that pleasure c can be shared, you know, and uh, give you a moment of peace, you know, of happiness. Don't you also sometimes want to agitate? Of course, you know, we are all agitators, but, uh, and, and I think agitating, you know, could be making it wonderful, making it, we can, agi we can agitate the peace, you know, shake it up so that people can see it. Something I, I wonder about, a word that we use a lot when talking about art is timeless that pieces uh -huh. speak to us across the centuries, uh, that I can have an emotional and intellectual experience with a piece of art right. that might be similar to one, to the, the experience that someone had 500 years ago when they created it. That's right. What I wonder is, 
in creating art that we're going to lo- let's loosely call political one way or another. Uh-huh. In what you gain in its topicality, uh-huh. in its political relevance, uh-huh. uh, do you lose some of that timelessness? Do you sort of restrict the work to a particular time and place? I don't know. Like uh, what I can say is that uh, you know, in this context of of the, on the context of this exhibition, like uh, I, I have many different you know artists coming from many different walk of life. Like for example, Kwame Brightwaite, who is 83, I think now, and uh, his pieces were made in the 60s, you know, in Harlem. So uh, between 1964 to 19, 1963 to 1965. So, and uh, next to it you have a piece that was made yesterday or a month ago, let's say, you know, to be precise, here in St. Louis by, you know, a young queer artist, you know. So, so there is a great conversation there we can have within the space. And uh, speaking about time and speaking about relevancy and speaking about, you know, the content and the intention of the artist. And that was my conversation with Modu Dieng and Oscar Murillo. You know who I am. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast, produced with help from our executive editor, Shula Newman. And let me tell you, the artists you heard from back there, you heard some music from Woody Guthrie, Marvin Gaye, Billy Bragg, Public Enemy, Phil Oaks, The Clash, and of course, James Brown. And it was very painful to fade that down just now, but got to move on with business. Our intro music is by Eric Hall. And thanks for listening to Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. You can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Cut and Paste is sponsored by Gemma, architects, planners, and designers. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.